Last year, a basketball player from Arizona State University transferred to KU. His name is Remy Martin. He chose KU because he thought that that coach and that team could win a national title. But he was injured during the season. There were times during the season when he thought if he would even make it back during the season. He had some setbacks. But he had a coach that told him to hang in there, to keep on working, to not lose hope. To the seven churches and its members who are suffering persecution in the province of Asia during the first century, Jesus gives them a message of do not give up. Do not give up hope. And we read that message in Revelation chapter 9, verses 11 through 21. Let me read that passage for you. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against a rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So now we're going to go back, verse by verse, and try to understand what this passage is telling us. We'll start at verse 11. And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True, with justice he judges and makes war. So another curtain is opened into the spiritual realm. This is what will happen throughout the book of, uh, of Revelation. Curtains are opened to help us see into the spiritual realm. And, and I think this 
curtain is opened into the future. And John sees a white horse. It's a symbol of conquest. It's a symbol of victory. And who is riding that horse? It is Jesus, for his name is faithful and true. Now, in this chapter, we are going to see aspects of Jesus that are talked about in the first three chapters of the book. In chapter 1, verse 5, he is called the faithful witness. Now he is called faithful and true. Everything he says is true. Everything he says can be counted on. Remember, we not only believe in Jesus, but we believe Jesus. And we bank our life on everything he says. Now in his first coming, he rode a donkey. That was part of our call to worship. It comes from Zechariah chapter nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout, uh, O daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. And so the first time he came, he was riding a donkey. It represented his humility and it represented that he came in peace. The second time he comes, he'll be riding a horse. He'll be coming as a conqueror and as the vanquisher of his enemies. Verse 12 tells us his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. And so in chapter 1, verse 14, we read, Jesus has blazing eyes of fire. And now that same image is repeated here. He sees all things. He's wearing many crowns. He is king over every sphere. He is king over all the earth. And he has a name that no one else knows. There are aspects to Christ that are a mystery. We can learn as much as we can know about him. We can know everything there is that he has revealed to us. But there are still aspects of Christ that are mysterious. If we had it all figured out, if, if we knew everything there was to know about him, then we would be God and he would not be. And then he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, that's verse 13. And his name is the word of God. So his robe is dipped in blood. Is that his blood? Or is it the blood of his enemies? Either one works. If it's his blood, it's because he was slain that he is given the right to rule. And that speaks of his love because he laid down his life for his people out of love for them. If it is the blood of his enemies, then it portrays Jesus as the conqueror, as the one who will win. And then his name is the word of God. You know, John receives this revelation from Jesus he writes it down, he sends it to the seven churches. That's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. And in that Gospel he says, in the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the universe came into being by the word of God. God spoke in time, matter, energy. Everything comes into being. It comes into being by the word of God. And in John's gospel, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. His name was Jesus. And so Jesus is the creator of the universe. And because he is creator over all things, he has power over all things. He even has power over the dragon or Satan. Now, you might ask, really? Jesus has all power? Jesus is in control? Have you seen the world lately? And really, he has power over the dragon? I mean, we see the dragon's work all over the earth. Yes, he has power over the dragon because he even created Satan. He created him as an angel. He fell because of sin. He became Satan, the adversary. He became the dragon. But Jesus still exercises control over him. Last week, I was at my sister's wedding. And after the wedding, there was a reception. And I have a 17-month-old grandson who was dancing on the dance floor. I even taught him the flamenco, right? So he, he can do that. And so uh, he's on the dance floor and he goes from one end of the dance floor to the other and he's dancing when people are dancing and I allowed him a lot of freedom on that dance floor. But when he went over to the table that had the wedding cake, got in front of him and wouldn't let him pull on that tablecloth. And when he went over to the DJ and wanted to unplug, you know, the, the, from the amplifier to the speakers, I wouldn't let him unplug that. He thought he had all kinds of freedom. And he had a degree of freedom. But Grandpa was still in control. Jesus allows us all kinds of freedom. You make choices every day. If you want to sin, Jesus lets you sin. And that's the same with the dragon or with Satan. He has a degree of freedom on the earth for now. But his power and his freedom is limited. It's limited by Jesus, the creator. In verse 14, we read that the armies of heaven were following this rider on a white horse and that they were on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So who are they? I think they are the saints. In several places, 
places in this book, the saints are described as wearing white robes. They're made white because they're washed in the blood of the lamb. The lamb's righteousness has been imputed towards them. And there's someone else in the Bible that's mentioned as wearing white linen. Priests do. And saints, the saints are described as priests. The angels never are. So I think these are the saints coming back to conquer with Christ. And they conquer the same way that priests do their work. Priests offer intercession and the priests are intermediaries between people and God. And so the saints conquer by their intercession. And what does intercession sound like? It sounds like, oh Lord, advance your kingdom. Oh Lord, deliver us from evil. Oh Lord, rise up and do battle against your enemies. It's the intercession of the saints that helps us conquer. And then there are intermediaries between God and other people. And every time we tell other people about Jesus, we act as intermediaries and the kingdom advances. We are the ones who come back as co-conquerors with Christ. Verse 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Again, a a reference to back to chapter one, 116, where Jesus is seen as having a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now that metaphor comes back. And it's metaphor because if we went to heaven right now and saw Jesus, we wouldn't see Jesus with a sword in his mouth. It's metaphor for that his word has power and by his power, he will strike the nations and bring judgment against them. Earlier in the book of Revelation, we see that the angels are holding back the four winds of the earth that will bring judgment on the earth. They're just holding it back until the word is spoken. This is the power of the sword, and when he speaks, judgments will be released upon the earth. All he has to do is speak, and judgment comes to the nation. Now, God judges nations and governments for their choices. And we might say, well, the chief Value in the United States is to have personal choice and freedom. That's the chief value of the U.S. And most people would agree in the country. But we have to understand that we will be judged for our choices. You might be able to make the argument We have choice over what happens to our bodies. We have choice on who we can have sex with. Okay, you may have choice, but God judges nations for their choices. And when the ungodly exercise their choices and judgment comes, 
It is the saints that has to suffer with the nation. Verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Roman Caesar thought he was king of the known world. The Roman Caesar demanded that people worship him as Lord. And in answer to that of those days, Jesus is saying, I am king of kings, and I am Lord of lords. Regardless of who is in power in Washington, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He is the true king, and we have to embrace his rule even now because all kinds of things compete for his rule in our hearts. Fame, money, lovers, political correctness. He will be king. We need to put him as king in our hearts right now. Verse 17, and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave and small and great. Now, contrast this with what we heard last week from Pastor Ken, where last week he talked about the wedding supper of the Lamb. People are there from every tongue, tribe, and nation. These are saints who are gathered to a wedding feast because they are part of the bride of Christ. That's the wedding supper of the Lamb. Now this week, in contrast to that supper, There is the great supper of God, which is actually an appeal to the birds to come, birds like vultures and crows to come and eat the corpses of those fallen. You want an invitation to this feast. You want no part of this supper. Now it says that uh, they're gonna summon the birds of the air. I think that's a metaphor too. And it's a metaphor that means there's gonna be great death. And it doesn't matter if you're a president or a dictator or a general or a soldier or common folk. There's going to be widespread death. And that death will happen to those who opposed the king and persecuted his saints. And so we have a choice in our lives right now. Will I accept the rule of the king or will I be on the side of those who reject his way? 
Now, that chapter ends with that gory scene. It ends with vultures and crows eating the corpses of people. And if you saw a movie like that, you would think, ooh, gross, what a way to end a movie. Well, we're not quite there at the ending yet, right? But it's a gross scene. And so you have to, have to ask why. Why would that scene give hope to people, especially in John's day? Because those people are being persecuted by the beast who is either Nero or Domitian. There will be a beast in the future. But then it was Nero or Domitian. If the persecution was light, they'd just kick you out of the trade guild and you'd suffer economically. If the persecution was turned up, they would just confiscate your farm and your house and you're out on the street. Maybe they'd throw you in prison. Maybe they would torture you to the point where they just say, just deny Jesus and you can live. And a lot of saints just went to their death, hanging on to their hope in Jesus. That scene gives hope, along with the writer, because we are told Jesus wins. God tells us in advance that Jesus wins. And so you hang in there. You hang in there with your faith and with your obedience. Because those who choose the king will come back as conquerors and they will receive their reward. Every day, remember who wins and choose to submit your life to the king. Remy Martin chose KU. He could have stayed at ASU. He was already having a good career there. But he wanted to be part of the winning side. And he had some tough things happen to him last season. He thought it might be over for him. He thought, I don't know if I'm going to recover from my injury. But his coach and his teammates encouraged him, and he got back into playing shape. And Remy Martin was named the Midwest region's outstanding player. And yes, KU won the national title. Remy had chosen the team and the coach that could get him there. God tells us in advance who wins. The winning side is Jesus and his way. Every day, remember who wins. Choose his side and the way that will result in your reward. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we worship you as the king of heaven. We worship Jesus Christ who is king of kings and lord of lords. And though in this world filled with 
the devices of the evil one. Lord, we know that you are in control. And so we appeal to you and we pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Lord, do battle for us. Vanquish our enemy. Strengthen us. And Lord, we confess that the world competes for who will rule our hearts. Lord, we're gonna enthrone you. We're gonna put aside that which would want to usurp your place. Be exalted in our lives, be exalted in our church, King Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.